everyone welcome to screen geeks radio episode 163 yes we are doing that yeah this is dave this is r kelly's attorney this is r kelly himself <laughs> okay i was waiting for you to say you're the little girl but okay because uh, that's that's the obvious joke but all right so yeah this week we are talking about space jam and looney tunes back in action although the musical cues will be completely from space jam because it's just too much fun to well, do it's that. got one of the classic 90s soundtracks yes like it or not yeah. yeah, between this and then Gotham City, yeah, R. Kelly just had the movie soundtrack thing. That's down. true. That's true. Yeah, that's where I just went there. All right. Anyhow, before we get to all that fun stuff, let's talk about what we watched over the past week. I'll kick it off since I've watched like one, really one thing, because um, I've been getting something stupid underway that I really have no business doing, but it's going to be fun to do that I can't talk about yet. Um, I watched the Doctor Who season finale last night. And I know our good buddy Jack Gregson over at Screen Geeks UK is not a fan of this particular episode. Mm. And I understand why, because they really write themselves into a corner, and they take a gigantic cheat to get out of it. But it's Doctor Who. It's not something you really take all that seriously. It was a fun episode. It's a good time. I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with the next season. Hmm. So, yeah. We'll find out. It's been a good season overall. It's been a lot of fun. I think Stephen Moffat's really stepped up the show significantly since Russell T. Davies raped and pillaged the uh, franchise for what it was worth, and then destroyed Torchwood with uh, that whole Miracle Day crap. So... Yeah, I, I think they got the right guy running it. Is there going to be a new Doctor next season? I think they've got one more season left with Matt Smith. Okay. And then, because they're talking about the fall of Eleven, which he's the 11th incarnation of the Doctor. So uh. I, I'm betting after next season they'll probably be done and move on to someone else, which I, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. But, yeah, it's a fun time. Ethan, what you been watching, sir? Uh, I watched Aki Karasmaki's The Man Without a Past. Uh, it's a Finnish film from 2002 about a man who is, in the first scene in the film, he's hit on the head, and he wakes up in a coma, and he's in a small town, and it's sort of like a art house, deadpan, non-action movie version of The Bourne Identity. <laughs> and uh, it's quite excellent. Uh, Kiris Maki, he's known for his similarities to Jim Jarmusch. In fact, they're even friends. And I believe in The Limits of Control, uh, John Hurt name-drops Kiris Maki in one of his films. But you can to- definitely the comparison is apt. The humor in the movie is just is so just completely deadpan, and uh, it has this great use of music too. So I, it was a really awesome movie. I'd recommend it. Great. It was the first Karismaki film I saw. Um, next, I watched uh, Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate for the first time. Wow. I don't. It's interesting. It's an interesting movie because, of course, you look at its reception at the time, but looking at it now, it's it is a good movie. Like, I think it's clearly a, a, a strong work of cinema. Like, I mean, it is clearly self-indulgent. Like, just looking at uh, the probably first 20 minutes of the movie, like, there's this uh, Harvard prologue that opens the movie, and it's, like, probably this, like, all these, it's probably, like, thousands of extras being used in a scene. And then there's another scene where it's this huge, like, dance number. It's probably, like, hundreds of extras there. Then you cut to that when it's in the old town or whatever, and there's, like, another thousand extras but again, that's kind of just Michael Cimino because you can see that kind of 
you can see the DNA of that in the deer hunter, I find. And, uh, yeah, it's very long, though. It's, like, nearly four hours. But still, I, I think it's a pretty strong movie, and I think it's definitely worth taking a look at. It's cool you saw Chimino's director's cut, because not everybody's seen that. And you know what, to be honest, I have not seen the director's cut. I've, I saw a compromised version that was, uh, gosh, it was, like, two and a half to three hours long. I don't remember which, but it was not the complete version that's out now. So I, I need to check that out, and I've been wanting to. Because, I mean, as you're, as you're saying, and like many have, have, have said, if you see the, enti- the film in its entirety, even though it is lengthy and, as you said, a bit self-indulgent, I've, I've been told that it's, it could possibly be the best film he's made. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is. It does. It did wear my patience down a little, but I, I do think it is a strong film. Well, and we generally speaking, self indulgence is used as a as a derogatory term. It's not always a bad thing. Not a bad no, thing, but of course, this is a movie that was, I was famous say, for like bringing down a studio. Ambition and self indulgence are simply the same thing. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Well, I'm curious to see this film in its entirety because, of course, I mean, th- this movie has a legendary history. Uh, you know, this is the film that, that almost completely obliterated MGM Studios. At one point, uh, they re-released the film under a different title, thinking they could kind of uh, fake out audiences into seeing a different film because that's how desperate they were to make their money back. I mean, this thing was this thing was just a – it was a total – cinematic quicksand in terms of just its box office and certainly its notoriety i mean it didn't help that all the critics went in knowing that this thing had such a troubled history so they you know they pounced on it the way they pounced on Waterworld and ishtar um and didn't really give the film a chance and it really wasn't until i think a year or so later that people started to come around and go you know what that that film is actually you know as you guys are saying like incredibly ambitious in a really worthwhile way um, but of course, you know it was no it was noteworthy that uh, Chimino actually built an entire town for this film, you know, complete with running water and electricity. Like I mean, it was just amazing. Wow. I mean, that's why. I mean, I think at the time, what was it, twenty nine million, thirty million? I mean, at the time, this is like nineteen seventy nine. I mean, it was the biggest uh, box office bomb of all time, and. You know, and it's a shame that that's – I mean that's always what I think of when I hear about the film. I mean it's, it, the film always comes up in my film class uh, because this is one of the films that really brought down that era of uh, you know the golden age of cinema where the, the writers slash directors were kind of in, in charge. And then movies like this and you know uh, Coppola's One from the Heart and Bogdanovich's At Long Last Love that kind of brought that era to an end. But a lot of these movies really are worthwhile seeing because they really do show for better or for worse these directors just going all out and, and you know, in, indulging in these pet projects. Like Zardoz. Well, yeah, that's a great example. Like Zardoz, definitely. I, it's, I saw that recently, and I thought it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else out there like Zardoz, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, next, I watched Abel Ferreira's Dangerous Game, his uh, film with Harvey Keitel and Madonna. Yeah. What you think yeah, of that? It's, it's, I thought it was a pretty excellent film. And uh, it's interesting because it, it's written by someone else, but it feels very personal to Ferreira. Yeah. Like, I heard people say it's sort of like his artistic statement about himself, and it's interesting looking at Harvey Keitel's character as him. And I, yeah. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a really strong piece of work. And uh, I have to say, uh, Madonna, I thought she was good in it. Yeah, yeah. Most people say this is probably one of her better performances, where she's not actually just kind of playing herself. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I definitely recommend that. It's, it's interesting, too, that uh, this is just something I noticed. There's a scene where he's watching... Uh, burden of dreams yeah and it's funny too because ferrera now has huge beef with herzog for remaking bad lieutenant right right so i just thought that was kind of funny (laughs) 
Uh, and last I watched uh, Ken Russell's The Lair of the White Worm. Wow, man. <laughs> interesting batch of movies, Ethan. What did you think <laughs> of that one? Gosh. It's interesting because it feels sort of like uh, Russell. Like, I haven't seen every film he's made, but in comparison to something like The Devils, it feels kind of like him just saying, oh, this is, you know, this is just a fun movie, but still is completely, you know, steep in his, like, type of imagery and yeah. and has some pretty interesting themes and whatnot, so... Yeah, it's it's a pretty awesome movie. Yeah, it's a nutty film with the man of Donahue band. There's there's imagery in that film that I have never been able to get out of my mind as as much as I've tried. It's uh yeah, that is a remarkable film. <laughs> right on. All right, Barry, what have you been watching, sir? I saw Will Ferrell in Everything Must Go, which was I think a big a bit of a mixed bag for me at least. Um I think it, it's kind of a one-note idea. It's ad- adopted from a, a Raymond Carver story. Of course, Carver's work you know, inspired the whole of Robert Altman's shortcuts. And I don't think the expansion of the story was completely effective. And I think Farrell's performance is something of a problem and something of an asset. I think he's fairly well cast, but I think putting him in that role was kind of a conscious effort to make the whole thing a little more lightweight, I guess. It, it it feels like it, it wants to be a much darker movie than it is. And and, and for the most part, I mean, I, I walked away from it feeling very depressed and sad because it's that kind of a story. Some really good supporting performances, particularly Rebecca Hall and um, C.J. Wallace, who is, of course, uh, the Notorious B.I.G.'s son, who's actually a very good actor. Um, but I thought it was a very uh, uneven film overall, even though it does try to instill hope at the very end of it. Um, saw a really awful romantic comedy called Something Borrowed. Uh, this is one of these. This is one of these situations where you know it's it's uh, you know Julie wanted to watch a movie and I could either you know do something else or watch a movie with her. So I watched something borrowed with uh, Jennifer Goodwin, who is the best thing about he's just not that into you, and Kate Hudson, who I don't think has done a good movie in a very long time, and John Krasinski, who steals the film. It's uh, in short, it's a story about it's a it's a romantic triangle. Jennifer Goodwin is in love with this actor i can't remember the name of his name i think this is his first and probably his last film very hunky guy she's in love with him but he's engaged to her best friend played by kate hudson and it you know nobody finds out that they're all sleeping with each other until the very end of the film krasinski you know from the office of course he's the one guy in the film who calls jennifer goodwin out on how stupid she is how stupid everybody's being he kind of acts for the audience in in, in essence <laughs> okay. and, it, and it's it's re- a cathartic release. yeah and it's really refreshing and not only that he's he's a real catch his character is a real catch and jennifer Goodwin, you know, only wants to be friends with him, and it's frustrating because you're watching this movie, going, "Wow!" Like, not only is this the most engaging character in the movie, but clearly he's the one to end up with, and nobody ends up with him at the end of the film. Um, so it's it's it was it was uh, it, it was interesting to watch this movie that that just kind of defiantly went against everything that the audience would want, and I'm amazed that this film made a cent of money because clearly you watch the movie, you're going, "Why isn't anybody in love with John Krasinski?" I'm in love with John Krasinski. He's the most likable character in this film. Um, I also saw Howard Hawks' uh, The Thing from Another World. I've revisited it for the first time in a long time. Beautiful film. I think I do prefer John Carpenter's remake a little bit because it does deal with the issue of duplicity and how do you know the person. That whole question of identity is lacking in the Howard Hawks film, even mm-hmm. though it's also very much a part of the short story that uh, the Howard Hawks film and the Carpenter film are based on. So I think the Carpenter movie actually gets the story better, um, even though Hawks has directed some spectacular scenes. I mean, if you haven't seen The Thing from Another World and you're a fan, 
fan of John Carpenter's The Thing. I highly, highly recommend it. Did you get um, it from the library? Or? I did. Okay. Yeah, I'll it, put it on the wait list because, yeah, yeah I, 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 could, I could feel you looking at me, sir. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's wonderful. I really do recommend it. If you're a fan of The Thing, I really do recommend you seeing it. Uh, I, I just – the best scenes of it are so spectacular, so well done, um, and so suspenseful and tense. It's a little – it, um, there's a lot of characterization and a lot of great patter, but I think totally it's kind of problematic because it keeps going back and forth between being like a Howard Hawks kind of farcical thing and, and then going back to being this really tense movie. So the tension isn't sustained, but it's great. It's absolutely great. Um, and then let's see. I guess the last one I'll point out, I saw The Lost Boys yesterday for the first time in a while. Um, I love The Lost Boys. I really do. And I think The Lost Boys – it should be the movie that shuts up the Bat fans from continually picking on Joel Schumacher for Batman and Robin, but it is, and uh, I think everybody loves to point out the Bat nipples and all that stuff, and I mean, I really think between The Lost Boys and A Time to Kill and Falling Down, I really think that Schumacher is actually a pretty good director, even though he's made some tacky, campy films, but uh, I think The Lost Boys is still a really exciting film. Watching it the other night, like, the, the best sequences of the film, I think, are just really riveting, and I think the the, the mix of, of comedy and horror works in a way that it doesn't really work in a lot of comedy horror films. I really think it is the vampire equivalent of An American Werewolf in London, although of being a movie that's very much of its time, very much an MTV sort of film, I think it's it's just terrific. Um, I love all the performances in it. I, I've, um, even though, it, 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 no question, it's a little juvenile. I mean, you know, death by stereo. It's kind of like the grittier harder-edged Monster Squad, but I think I think The Lost Boys is a great film. I, I really enjoyed it. It's one of the few films of its of its decade that I think still holds up decades later. What do you think of the uh, shirtless saxophone man? I like the shirtless saxophone man um, because, I mean, <laughs> well, like definitely the only decade that that could have been like something that people would rock out at at a concert, um, especially the fact that he's so oiled up the way he is. Um, <laughs> no, I don't mind it. I really don't mind it at all. I really don't. Even Jules and I were laughing about it last night. I'm like, you know what? That was like that was awesome back in the summer of 1987. Now, you know, if anybody got on stage with a saxophone, he'd be like pelted before he could get to the mic. There's that. Did, did you not go to Mile High Sci-Fi? I did. Did you? I, yeah. I, I have to hear how that went. Oh, sure. No, Space... Oh, yes, Mile High Sci-Fi uh, decimated Space Camp last night, and it was a wonderful experience. They made fun of... Uh just how ridiculous it is that during the course of the movie they make it a point that Jinx, the lovable wacky robot who helps the kids get to space, Jinx is a $27 million robot that NASA created, and yet he's always hiding in the little boy's closet. He is nowhere anywhere near like helpful, and the whole movie, uh, they, they made it a joke that during the course of the movie, the people should be going, like, have you guys seen that $27 million robot that we invented? You know, because Jinx is always like running around with the kids and stuff. Um <laughs> the, the whole film, uh, Kelly Preston is wearing like these huge earrings because, you know, it's 1986. Well, they had a guy with a cowbell shake the cowbell whenever she shook her head, you know, to like <laughs> simulate what it would be like to hear her freaking earrings like flapping. And uh, they did that through the entire film. It was one of those in-jokes that went really well. No, it was, it was great. Uh, Space Camp as a film – I, for me, it's always the same thing. Well, all the all the stuff of them training at space camp is really corny and cheesy, and that's hard for me to say because I actually went to space camp. In fact, I went to the Huntsville, Alabama space camp where they shot the film, um, so I always get a little nostalgic watching it. But it's really corny and cheesy. Once they get to outer space, the movie actually is fairly compelling for being you know a children's adventure film. I think yeah. it's pretty well done, and I love the John Williams score. Um, but I didn't get to hear a lot of it because Mile High Sci-Fi kept interrupting the score with with cues from Star Wars and um, yeah, <laughs> no. They, they did a pretty, they did a very good job. I don't think it was quite as good as what they did to the Fly Two last month, where they just destroyed the Fly Two, which was great. I think they went a little soft on Space Camp, but uh, overall, it was a very enjoyable night, and uh, we were laughing hard. And um, I think one of probably the funniest joke of the night was 
there's a point where Joaquin Phoenix asks Jinx, like, you know, asked the robot, like, why do you take everything so literal? And, and the voiceover that they added was Asperger syndrome. So good stuff. Wow. Good stuff. <laughs> they went there. All right, then. Yeah. All right, cool. Very enjoyable. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, let's co- let's go ahead and talk about what came out in theaters this past weekend. This past weekend, the critically acclaimed 50-50, starring Joseph Gordon-Levin and Seth Rogen. Um, currently at the bottom of the critical acclaim pile, uh, Dreamhouse, which has been getting wretched, wretched reviews. Uh, apparently it's a horror movie that is neither scary nor complex, uh, but it does star Daniel Craig, Rachel Weisz, and Naomi Watts. So I don't know. I think I'm, I will see this at some point because I do like the cast. Oddly enough, one of the bigger hits of the year in terms of box office and how much it costs to make this film. Um, apparently, churches are going out of their way to take flocks of people to see Courageous, which is honestly, it's a, it's a serious box office hit. Not even making that up. I wish I was. What's your number? <laughs> What's your number? Romantic comedy starring Anna Faris and Chris Evans, who I'm sure will not want people to remember this film at year's end. And then limited release, the critically acclaimed Take Shelter starring Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain, which I've heard nothing but sensational things about. And Tucker and Dale versus Evil, starring Alan Tudyk, also. Oh, I release. saw that. Yes. Yeah. Did, did you guys see any of the releases before I get into that? I, I saw Fifty Fifty, which I thought was great. Yeah, I saw it like a month ago. Yeah, yeah. I think we both really, really enjoyed it. Uh, what did you think about it, Ethan? Yeah, I think it's a very solid movie. The thing is about it, I, I think it is still maybe just a little tidy, though. Mm. Like, it feels like it could have gone almost a little deeper and darker. Mm-hmm. And there's some times where there's some kind of, like, very eye-rollingly screenplay-y things. But I, I thought, overall, it's a very intelligent and funny movie. And I and it, I and and there were some things in it that reminded me of real life. Like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's relationship with his mom reminded me a lot of my relationship with my mom. And that kind of gave me a lot of uh, gave me a little more of an emotional pull to it so mm-hmm. I, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty strong movie I without giving anything away I like that the ending was unexpected I'll just say that much because um, I think there's walking into this film I think I had a pretty clear idea of how I thought the film would end or how I thought it would it inevitably go and it didn't um, and I like that about it but as you're saying I think no question there's it does kind of uh, it goes in ways that, on one hand, you can see it's uncompromised, but also, I think, trying to, as you're saying, like, trying to avoid the darker picture here. But, you know, of course, the true story is that the guy who wrote this film, spoiler, is still alive and with us. Um, I love Bryce Dallas Howard in this movie. I love that, on one hand, you know, she's kind of the villain, but at the same time, you do feel for her because she's in this situation that she doesn't know how to deal with. Um, the scene where Seth Rogen catches her in the act and, and and the subsequent scene I thought was just hilarious. I love the way that scene was written. I'd never seen anything quite like that before. I loved all the scenes with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Anna Kendrick. Uh, I thought they had a really good chemistry and I, I really just found her really engaging in the movie. She's kind of becoming like Michael Sarah, where her quirkiness is becoming kind of predictable from film to film but I still find it really engaging and endearing and I loved her in this movie and, and Levitt. I mean I thought he... Uh, I thought there was something really brave and really sweet about his his character and his performance. And, you know, the only part of the movie that felt a little formulaic to me, but I still loved it, were the scenes where Joseph Gordon-Levin is getting chemo with Matt Frewer and Philip... Baker Hall. Hall. Thank you. I always want to say Philip Seymour Hoffman. I really love those scenes, even though the, the, those are the parts where I thought, okay, this feels like kind of wacky, quirky comedy staple. But I really love those scenes, and I loved uh, kind of the, the trajectory of those characters and what happened to them. And, yeah, I, th- I thought it was I, – I, I was very moved by this film, and I, but I also thought it was as, as funny as it needed to be. Um, I agree with you. You could definitely be stronger and, and perhaps a little more realistic, but I – 
you know, it's an optimistic film about cancer. Um, and I think the optimism comes from a, from an honest place. And I, I really like that about it. It wasn't like that movie, The Cure, about those two boys who go on a search uh, together on a journey for the search for the cure for AIDS, which I thought, like, that's just – just as a premise, that's a bad idea. But I like that 50-50 is about these two guys who are trying to deal with the fact that one of his – one of the best friends has cancer. And what do they do about it? They go and try to pick up girls. I thought it was a – I thought it was really uh, refreshing and uh, and kind of edgy, edgy take on, you know, what could have been a disease of the week sort of film. I totally should have gone first because <laughs> you, you have such a highbrow film. Compared to you know essentially oh, no. a, a reverse hillbilly massacre movie. Yeah, but like this is a film people want to see, you know, and like we're getting into one theater next week in Denver. I mean, what do you think of this thing? Not a lot of people are going to be able to see it until it's on Netflix. Uh, you know, it's on Amazon streaming right now. That's how I got it. Okay. Um, you know, it was okay. it was kind of judging between seeing that or I thought it came out this past Friday. Did it? Yeah, I thought it came out this past this weekend. Okay. Because um, it came out nationally at the th- what theaters it was coming out mostly. Um, this is oh goodness, people, a lot of people are going to compare this to Shaun of the Dead. There's just no way around it because it is an incredibly funny film. It is an incredibly gory film. I just don't see it quite being there. Um, it, the, the story takes it is about two hillbillies going to their, their brand new purchased vacation home in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, meet up with some college kids who, you know, of course, they're the creepy ones. So the kids are naturally scared of them. And all it really is is that, you know, the, the, the fat guy, Dale, just kind of has a crush on one of the girls and... And, and, and wants to talk to her. So when he when he goes over, he's just so socially inept that he just comes across like a hillbilly killer. So it, it's a very light take on it. Um, I really had a blast with it, honestly. The kills in this movie, the whole... I, I love a good movie that, that, that brings the whole comedy of errors thing to light. And the film gets going with that pretty quick. Uh, while, while the boys are out night fishing, the kids, of course, decide to go skinny dipping. And the, the heroine, the lead actress of the film, Christi, K- Katrina Bowden, which, who looks like the younger, like a younger Olsen twin, honestly. Like, I was wrong when I told you that earlier. That's okay. <laughs> I totally got that wrong. She is getting ready to go skinny dipping, and Alan Tudyk, who is freaking fall-down hilarious in this movie, sees her and has just got his jaw dropped. And the big guy has a crush on her, says, hey, don't look. She sees them, screams, falls, hits her head, falls in the water unconscious, so they go to pick, get her out. Kids don't see any of this. All they see is two hillbillies pulling a limp, lifeless corpse for their friend into the boat and swimming and paddling away. So through them trying to save her, they all end up killing themselves pretty much. And it, it, it really is a comedy of errors movie. And it is a fun time. It is a good time. It's something definitely to see with a crowd. I mean, I laughed my butt off seeing it by myself, but I kind of want to see this on the big screen too. Okay. It, it's an absolute blast. Alan Tudyk is freaking amazing as usual yeah he, he's, he's hilarious oh that reminds me i watched transformers 3 again yesterday why would you do that sir my roommate downloaded it and watched it <laughs> you're like hey i'm in the room how was it the second time i think i well i was stoned when i watched it but i i think i kind of agree with the uh theory that it's an accidental art film okay you have to explain this theory i've not heard this theory sir no, but it is so, like, just completely balls out in terms of its imagery and its, like, bad comedy and its excess that it is, it becomes almost like a satire of art film, or, or sorry, blockbuster cinema. And I think in a way, I think this movie is, a, like, it is Michael Bay's kind of grandest auteurist statement, I find, in a way. Like, it is a representation of everything he is on screen. That's probably fair. Okay, and I I think some of the imagery in it is just like it is so it feels like just so abstract in a way, 
like how much is going on within the frame and even some of the images in it are like kind of beautiful just in how much is going on and how many parts are turning and some of the compositions it's it's impressive do you think there's a chance in our lifetime that Michael Bay will make his quote-unquote personal movie and it'll be like this $10 million film about a little boy who likes to go fishing with his grandpa? And it'll be like 90 minutes long and almost devoid of dialogue just with the two of them out there in the fishing boat. So you're and, saying his tree of life? No, not his tree of life. <laughs> I think I think Transformers 3 is as much a representation of Michael Bay as the tree of life is of Terrence Malick. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still. I mean, the Transformers Three is still, you know, an evil, cynical, soulless, industrial piece of shit. But it is. It, there is artistry to it. Well, I remember when Pearl Harbor came out. I mean, you probably remember this, Ethan. I mean, ten years ago when Pearl Harbor came out. I mean, not only was it supposed to be like this big Oscar film, and everybody was saying it was, it's, you know, this could be like one of the best pictures of the year. It's one of the most important American stories and whatnot. Um, and you know, Michael Bay even said like, you know, this is this is like the ultimate Michael Bay film. And then you see it and you go, my gosh, this is as bad as everything else you've done. This is as bad as Armageddon. Um, I, I, you know, so I don't know. I'm just, I'm not that I'm holding out from, I just, I really feel like at this point, he's just going to make a movie that just kind of sucks the universe into a void along with him. But I, I am wondering if one day he is going to surprise us so much. Like, for example, do something like Roland Emmerich did with anonymous where it's just like, he does something that on one hand just makes our eyes roll just watching the trailers. But at the same time we go like, didn't expect it from the guy who did bad boys too. Well, I think that Roland Emmerich has like more kind of genuine talent, and Michael Bay has more kind of accidental talent. <laughs> so I will say, I, like, I, I'll stand by this. I think the image in Transformers Three of the the army guys like jumping out of the plane in the flying squirrel suits. Yes, like I, I think that image is actually like genuinely beautiful, but. Well, you I know, don't know. I, it seems weird that he was able to do that, like create an actual beautiful image. Well, you know, I, I think he, I think he is capable of it. I mean, um, I, I wrote an article about him a, a number of years ago, and and uh, I was my my take was that if if one image for me was going to sum up the films of Michael Bay, it is that moment in Bad Boys Two during the car chase where that car bounces and you know Martin Lawrence's head is out the window and the car like misses his head just by inches. And like Martin Lawrence looks at the camera and goes, "Oh, I mean, I think I think that's an arresting shot. I really do." And for that matter, the one film that Michael Bay did that I do defend, even though it's it's just awesomely unoriginal, which is The Island. I think The Island is full of, of just gorgeous imagery, uh, striking imagery. Not only imagery that's like right out of like the sharper image catalog, but I think genuinely like, well, like like really involving imagery. I mean, like there's there's the scene in the film where Michael Clark Duncan is being dragged to his death, and you know. Uh, Clark Duncan, I mean, is you know the guy's like what seven foot five and like just a huge house. Um, but not only his performance, but his character really conveys like just the terror of like knowing that he's going to be dead in just a few moments. And uh, there's there's a lot of humanity I find in in the island, that actual uh, genuine caring for human life and and engaging in what it means to be a human being, which is something I find really really strange and and surprising from Michael Bay movie. So I don't know, like looking at the island again, not that not that long ago, I'm kind. Kind of, I'm kind of expecting or holding out that that Bay is going to come out with something that could really, really surprise us. But uh, which isn't to say that I think he's a great filmmaker, <laughs> just to be clear. But I, I do think a guy who can make three movies like Transformers, I think, I don't know. I think he does kind of want to break away from you know movies that are sponsored by is it Hasbro or Mattel? 
Hasbro. It is Hasbro. I think I think there is there's there's one non Hasbro Michael Bay movie out there that could really really surprise us. But um, is this in the same kind of way how someone says, "Hey, everyone's got a book inside them." Like a right. good book. Everyone's got one good book in them. Yeah, but then like, but then you got like Oliver Stone, who said he had a great book in him, and he released this book, and it was it was one of the most unreadable unreadable books ever. So you never know. All right then. Wow. All right. Well, shall we move on to what is hitting home video this week? This week, um, I don't I don't think it's number one anymore. But man, it was number one for two weeks, which is just amazing. The Lion King is now being released on DVD, which I'm sure Disney's going. No, it's still in theaters. Um, nice going, Mouse House. But The Lion King Diamond Edition, which, of course, I'm sure is going to be beautiful. This is one of the great Disney animated films. Fast Five, one of the most critically acclaimed action films of the year, which is... <laughs> is it really? It, it, it is. It is. It's the most critically acclaimed in the series. No, I'm serious, man. Like, the, the the reviews in this thing have been sensational, and I've heard nothing but good things That's about right. Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson's performance. No, I'm the one guy in America who did not get around to seeing Fast Five, but I hear it's great. I will check it out. I'm telling you, seriously, after you watch it, watch listen to the podcast with Bill Simmons and Adam Carolla, and you'll appreciate it on a whole new level all right uh west craven scream four uh very mixed bag i think we're seeing for the first 10 minutes but otherwise it's same old same old buck the true story of a real horse whisperer critically acclaimed documentary friday the 13th the ultimate collections part one through eight so this is the first one all the way to my favorite guilty pleasure jason takes manhattan part eight the collection comes with a hockey mask so if you're pressed for a halloween costume buy it and you'll have a you'll have a costume Weirdo Yankovic, the Apocalypse Live Tour, available on DVD. I actually saw this at Twist and Shout the other night. And um, it, it aired on Comedy Central last night, too. Oh, very good, very good. Well, yeah. apparently it's quite good. It's gotten good reviews. Speaking of another show, not only has the show gotten great reviews, but apparently the DVD of it is also quite good, is the Pee Wee Herman Show on Broadway, now available on DVD. Apparently another can't-miss event, and I love Pee Wee, so I'm going to check both of those out. Uh, on Blu-ray, you've got Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, Tim Burton's 1985 masterpiece, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Love that film. Uh, Cinema Paradiso, one of the most beautiful and moving and authentic films ever made about the love of cinema. The last 10 minutes of that film, if you're not crying like a baby, you are not a human being. You will not pass the Blade Runner test. And finally, a film that is going to be uh, discussed at, at length today, the last of the Blu-ray titles, rather, Space Jam. Oh, Space yeah. Jam, Michael Jordan, and Bugs Bunny together at last. Available on Criterion, Harakiri, and... <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying Space Jam. No, 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 no. Sorry, I got three more titles. I apologize. Okay. No, Criterion, you no, 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 got no. Harakiri, which is I've not seen, but it's gotten great reviews. Of course, it's Criterion. And then, of course, Pierre Pasolini's Salo. Um, we've talked a lot about it on this show. And then finally, uh, one of Jack Gregson's favorite films of last year. And i got to say, a very solid film with a great performance by Noah Taylor. That's Submarine, now available on DVD. Sweet. You Just a real quick note on uh, Dead Alive. I was reading an interview with Peter Jackson, and apparently he's going back, and uh, he and Wetter are going to go back and, and restore all of his old movies, like like uh, Meet the Feebles and all those other yeah. Are you serious? He's going to restore them? Oh, yes. He's going to do a George Lucas. He doesn't need to do that. No, 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 no. It's just the, the releases that came out were crap, so they're just going to restore, like... Just digitally? Yeah. Like, okay, so he's, he's not going to, like, make it CGI puppets or anything? Or, no. Okay. No, no. Okay, well, that's good. That's good, because no question. I mean, some of those movies are, like, bad taste. It's really grainy. So that's, that's yeah. what he's going to do? Okay, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. I like that. I was afraid he was going to, like... You know, make it like a CG instead of a fast uh, stop motion animation. He's going to do like a CGI creature in uh, in Dead Alive. Yeah, so good, I'm, the, good. the CGI Sumatran rat monkey. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So good. I'm glad. I'm glad he's not doing that. Yeah. No. 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 All right. Uh, so, well, I guess that kicks off some news. I, I guess we've only got like two stories, so I'll do the one 
that's not going to enable entail a ton of mockery. And then we'll get to that other one. Uh, apparently, Kevin Costner is no longer in Django Unchained. He was going to play the the hard driving evil slave fight trainer, which just outside of a Tarantino movie, I don't think I'd actually. It would turn me off to the film just hearing that. But hearing that Kurt Russell's going to play him now, I'm. I can't wait. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. This is one of these things, like, it, for me, it reminds you of Inglorious Bastards. When I first heard what the film was about, I thought, that sounds awesomely distasteful and wrongheaded. <laughs> but uh, I am curious to see what Tarantino <laughs> does. I think it's interesting that he went from one star of 3,000 miles to Graceland to another to, yeah. to pick this character. Um, because of the subject matter, I suspect this movie could probably have a record for how many times we hear the N-word in an American movie. Um, but yeah, here's my question. Yeah, is Lavar Burton going to be in it? That's my real question. There you go. That's who should be in this film. Great cast, and yeah, a very interesting story. But no question. I mean, this this is this is edgy stuff. <laughs> I mean, even <laughs> arguably even more so than uh, Inglorious Bastards. So I'm yeah, I'm very curious to see how this. Turns well, yeah, out. this is going to be taking on a topic that is is. is it's fair to say, at, at bare minimum, is a sore subject. In well, it's a, it's a it's a powder keg. I mean, either you know, either this is you know, he's either going to transcend it and do something that's you know, not only rich with love for cinema, but also really great storytelling, or this is going to be like his the day of the clown, the day of the clown cried. cried. Yeah, sorry, I cried. Oh, I, so, I, we'll I, after reading about that, I can't. I have to see that movie at some point in my life. Well, I hope we get to see. Well, it you never time. will. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to think that we we could, but no, that thing is that thing is stashed away in a safe in uh, Jerry Lewis's office. Yeah, essentially, they're, tape. they're saying he, he's pretty much going to have to die for it. To- but the screenplay is available online, and when I taught my lost films class, uh, we all sat in a circle and we read the screenplay. We had you did a table and, read. I sure did. Um, <laughs> no, it didn't take that long. It's only about you know, it's about a ninety minute long uh, film, and and. Uh, no, it was great, and uh, I read the role of Helmet, uh, the the clown who walks the kids into the gas chambers during the Holocaust. Um, no, is it I get, bad that I want to do a radio theater production of this? You know, I mean, it is it is so fascinating because uh, you know, with, and you know, not to, and this is not a slam in that movie, but you know, Roberto Benigni with Life Is Beautiful, he basically did like his variation on that, and it's interesting the similarities between the two stories. And then you know, Robin Williams did something of a film like that. He with did Jacob the remake, the yeah, remake of Jacob the Liar, based on another film called Jacob the Liar. Um, so, I mean, I just you know, it's 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 one of these things. It's like you know. There are just some things you can't make poignant, you know. There's <laughs> just some things you can't make whimsical and quirky and cute, you know, for the sake of like softening something. I mean, there's some things that just cannot be softened. I think something like the help is, you know, kind of like on the, you know, kind of like on the teeter totter, but like, you know, the Holocaust, you can't end it with like, you know, smiles and rainbows, you know. And I think that's one thing that that Roberto Benini almost got away with for the most part with Life is Beautiful because I think it's a very good film. But uh, The Day the Clown Cried, no, that thing is just – it's 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 very wrong-headed. But I got to say a very ambitious movie on, 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 on Lewis's part. This is before Schindler's List. I mean nobody was making Holocaust movies when he decided to do it. So there you know, I got to hand it to him. You know, ballsy, ballsy move on his part. But uh, from at least just from the table read that we did, just like – how the heck could this work? Like tonally, were people laughing a lot during it, or uncomfortable laughter? Okay, uncomfortable laughter. Yeah, because there's, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, it really, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking that 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 a lot of this is filmed, you know. But of course, we'll we'll never see it in our lifetime. Speaking of movies that might be made in bad taste, what's that trailer we're going to talk about, Ethan? Extremely loud and incredibly close. I'm still trying to understand what that title means, but I'm sure the movie will. There'll probably be a line of dialogue that sums it all up. This just looks bad. 
That's really the it only way. It looks like the war, just like the most schmaltzy, manipulative, cloying, precocious piece of Oscar bait shit ever made. Well, my instant reaction, I mean, it looks like August Rush. It looks just like August Rush. So pretty much what Ethan said. Yeah, they're just trying way too hard just from the trailer to, like, get the tears going. And it's just a shameless, shameless use of a song by U2 that has nothing to do with the subject matter. Yeah, they should have used, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, at least that would have been honest. That would have been kind of funny. And using, I don't know, like... I could be wrong. I haven't seen the film yet, but it looks like they're using 9-11 the same way Remember Me used 9-11, you know, in a really just manipulative... I can only hope. I um, can just only hope. In a really manipulative, you know, uh, soap opera story way as opposed to something that's honest and genuinely reflecting on a tragedy. I will say this. At least this movie has the common decency to not make it the punchline for the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, they're very open about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, manipulative as it's going to be, at least they're not... What? Wait a minute! This is a nine eleven movie, and the well, just like the dialogue, like uh, you know, before the show started, Dave hadn't seen the trailer, so uh, you, Dave, watched the trailer, but but Ethan and I, um, you had to listen to, to our misery. We had to listen to it through those speakers, and just listening to some of that dialogue, like I thought, man, that that sounds like you know after school special stuff, like from <laughs> from the nineties, you know, like just Jenny eat something or cheesy, like cheesy stuff, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like Tom Hanks, uh, but I, Sandra Bullock is, I, I, yeah, I haven't been like in love with Sandra Bullock in a long time in terms of her performances. In fact, I think Murder by Numbers is probably the last thing she did where I really liked her performance because it was so different from anything she'd done before. But yeah, I'm kind of done with Sandra Bullock. Fair enough. All right. Well, I, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up, Ethan? Goodman. At least he's getting some work. <laughs> there you go. There you go. He's one of these guys that like, I thought like John Goodman could save any movie. And then I saw Coyote Ugly and I go, no, he can't. Sometimes he just goes down with the ship. But you know, it's good that he's on the ship. It's good to see him on that ship, even when it's sinking into the. Yeah, it, it, that, that was my question. Was why is Max Van Vonsito in this? Well, you know, Max Vonsito, you know, he's you got to say, man, like one of the most interesting filmographies of any actor who has ever lived. Diverse. Uh, oh, speaking of that, I, I was doing some reading up on this, apparently, and apparently what his character is, he's like this mute war veteran who has, like, words tattooed on his knuckles to communicate or something. Oh, no. Oh, it's like the most just... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I can't wait to see this movie That's now. more troubling than the trailer itself, hearing something like that. Gosh. This is a man who has never won an Academy Award, and that has always offended me. Because, and speaking of that, yeah. this movie is directed by Stephen Daldry, who yes. somehow is three Best Director nominations. Ugh, gosh. For the like, can any, like, I mean, will there ever be a book written on Stephen Daldry? Will there ever be a Stephen Daldry retrospective at the the MoMA? Well, I had well, you know, listeners. I had to ask Ethan who this guy was because uh, I forgot. I mean, I remember he remember. I remember he did the hours because for Pete's sake. I have not forgotten the hours I've lost from watching the hours, but no, I mean, like, I, I forgot that he did the reader and, ugh. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring the show to a screeching halt with such a low note. No, 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 it's just, you know, this it's just one of these directors, like, I don't know, I, I think, I think when movies move us just a little bit, people can tend to go really crazy about them, um, which is why I think a director like this can kind of squeak by all these years. <laughs> But like I mean, if if the if you know if the hours and the reader were good for anything, it was the performances. I, I can't imagine you know giving this director too much credit. I don't know. 
yeah, I just I don't like this guy. <laughs> and this movie doesn't look very good. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we take a quick break then real quick? Quick question. Do you guys feel like it's almost like we are pressured to like movies like this? You know, it's almost like we're – you know, like I felt like I was pressured to well, like yeah. The Blind Side and I was pressured to like Slumdog Millionaire. Like I felt like I had to like these movies because everybody else did. This this the way this trailer was cut. It, it felt like it was screaming at you. If you don't like this movie, you have no soul. Right. You know, and, and it's coming on December, so it's like the big Oscar movie. So it's like, well, I almost feel like I, I got to be in defensive mode immediately when I write my review of this thing because I suspect I'm not going to like this movie. You if the think? if the trailer is a reflection of what the movie is, then I'm probably not going to like this movie. But I feel like, oh shoot, this is going to be one of these films like. You know, people are going to be like, "Have you no heart?" Like, which is what I get whenever I tell people. You know, I really did not like the Blind Side. I thought the Blind Side was completely manipulative and and condescending and and you know all those things. And people are like, "How could you not like it?" She taught that black man how to play football. What's not to like about the Blind Side? Like, oh my god, no, no. I like Tosh's well, I, joke. Well, I've heard the book. This is based on. I've heard is quite good, but huh. still. Uh, Fair enough. That's the problem. You know, sometimes great books do not translate into great films. And, you know, what you could do on the page and kind of have as a, you know, to use a word like well, kind of an ephemeral concept or an idea when you literalize that, it doesn't always work. Someone told me that, that August Rush was apparently a beautiful screenplay. Well, that's great, but August <laughs> Rush as a movie is, 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 a, is an ordeal to sit through. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back. We will talk about some Looney Tunes goodness. Stay tuned. Thanks, Dave. Great show. At Jonja.net, that's J-O-N-J-A, we have everything to satisfy your sci-fi fan needs. If you look at this chart comparing... What do you mean there's no video? They're screen geeks. They don't have a screen? Well, how am I supposed to... I hired a Cylon to tell everyone about the discussions of sci-fi television movies past and present. I guess I won't be needing you. You can leave. I recommend... Come on, I had Nichelle Nichols beam in to talk about our long list of exclusive interviews, including Zachary Quinto, Amanda Tapping, and the crew of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hailing frequencies are always open at JeanJay.net. Never mind, Miss Nichols. Thanks for coming in. I don't believe this. Oh, great. Now here comes my special guest to tell people about JeanJay.net's Flash Arcade. Forget it, man. They can't even see you. Oh, well. Maybe everyone will find their way over to Jonja.net to see and hear everything for themselves. Thanks for watch- listening. Now back to Screen Geeks. And we're back to talk about those wacky Looney Tunes who unfortunately made Space Jam in 1996 and Joe Dante's uneven but maybe a little underrated Looney Tunes back in action back in 2003. Space Jam. Let's just get it over with. 
I, that was hard. That was really hard going back to that um, because I liked it 15 years ago. Yeah. Like I saw it twice when it came out in 96. Uh, seeing it now is a very different experience. Um, As an actor, Michael Jordan's a great athlete. I think I was okay with him in 96 because I had seen those commercials so many times oh, yeah. with him in the Looney Tunes. I mean, like, we have to understand, I mean, you got to understand, listeners, if, you, if you're not a child of the 90s or don't really remember this, I mean, they used to play those Nike commercials with him playing basketball with the Looney Tunes characters all the time on TV. So by the time the movie came out, it was like, well, it's just an extension of those commercials, which were pretty amusing, mm-hmm. you know, in little 30 second bits. They were, they were fun. Um, but yeah, th- but then watching the film now, um, watching Michael Jordan carry this entire film, and it's frustrating too because there's real actors in the movie, but it's it's Jordan's film. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, the thing with Michael Jordan, the thing I kind of like, I kind of like him the way I like Prince as an actor, wh- <laughs> where it's like I kind of like that he's sort of wooden, like he's just like honest. Honestly, he's like, oh yeah, I'm just kind of wooden. It's not like he's trying to act too much. It's like, because I'm thinking that scene where he first goes into the Looney Tunes world, he could totally be like, just his reaction shots could be like, totally like, Brendan Fraser-like. He'd just be like, whoa, 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 But no, he's just sort of just wooden. I, I kind of like that in a way. I prefer Prince as an actor, to be completely honest. I think Prince is a far more dynamic actor. And I, I wish Jordan had like some of those reaction shots that Prince has in Under the Cherry Moon, where he just looks at the camera in a really like... <laughs> hypnotic and in an uber sexual way. Well, I mean, yeah, Prince is obviously better. I'm well, there were those scenes with Charles Barkley. Wait, Charles wait, Charles no. Barkley. My gosh, he's so. Uh, just the. I mean, you know, I, I always I always find amusing movies like other movies or commercials or skits like where athletes come forward like, "Hi, my name is Brian Taylor. I'm with the Cal- I'm with the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm here to tell you about." smallpox you know like I, I always think it's so amusing when when they're just so ridiculously wooden but in this movie like everybody all the athletes are so so wooden. so bad for all the I don't know uh, uh, Patrick Ewing isn't bad oh that was brutal <laughs> I liked him better in The Exorcist 3 I liked him much better in that movie what he's in The Exorcist 3 he plays an angel. He and Fabio play angels in The Exorcist Three. They're in the same scene together, and that's a great movie, by the way. I'm not. I'm not knocking The Exorcist Three. I love The Exorcist Three. Anyway, back to Space Jam. Ow. Okay. Um, this film to me, I like, this, was, uh, this, was, this movie really brought me back because this was the point in time when I was like a humongous NBA fan. I still like the NBA. I still sure. think I still like basketball a lot. But sure. Yeah, that's. Like it took me back in that respect, like seeing Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson, and the Grandmama joke was great in there. But but it's not a great NBA movie, though. Yeah, you know? no. it's like it's not like Hoosiers with with Looney Tunes. Um, Forget Paris is a better NBA movie than this. It's a much better NBA movie. Um, gosh, uh, the things I like about the movie, uh, even though the characters or the the animated characters, they kind of and not talking about the Looney Tunes, but the the evil characters, they feel like the rejects, the monsters. Yeah, the monsters. They feel like they're from a bad Don Bluth movie, you know, because they got that they're got their little round and kind of adorable faces, even when they're evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Looney Tunes, they're enjoyable, and no question, I think the integration of live action animation is very good. It's not Roger Rabbit good, but it's good. It, it's very slick and well done. It's one thing that that really struck me was the uh, audio. Like it, for some reason the audio the audio because there's such better audio capture equipment at the by this point than when the original Looney Tunes were made, it took me out of it because it sounded so different from the original cartoons. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and you get a lot of characters. Now, granted, I, I 
I produce podcasts, so of course my ears going to pick up on that. But it's just it really, really, really kind of caught me off guard. Well, it's hard too to 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 watch that and not you know uh, not feel like oh my gosh, this is not the same voice that I've been hearing all these years. It's clearly you know in, in a lot of cases they got a lot of new talent and well, I think in that, those cases I think it was Mel Blank doing them. I don't think so. I think he was gone by then. I was think. He? Okay. I think so. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bill Murray. I, I enjoyed Bill Murray. Um, yeah. The film. It's, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's one of these things like the Titanic sinking, but hey, the band has got a really good song going. Like, exactly. Got, you know, Bill Murray shows up and I mean, I, I did enjoy him giving the, giving the, you know, like the pep talk, like girl bunny, you do this boy bunny. Yeah. Like I, some of that was, was, was kind of enjoyable. Um, I thought Wayne Knight was, He's funny. Kind of, he's funny. Yeah, he played that annoying guy like he needed to play him. No question. I mean, it was almost like he walked off the set of Jurassic Park. I the product placement this placement in this movie. I mean, in both of these movies are shameless. Oh, yeah. Both oh, these movies. It's no more question. shameless than back in action. I think. I thought it was worse than this one. The scene where Wayne Knight jumps in the room, and I I don't remember the dialogue. Maybe Ethan remembers it line for line, but uh, the the bit of dialogue where Wayne Knight tells Jordan Knight, uh, Jordan Knight, Michael Jordan, he tells him like, "Strap on your Nikes and grab your Cheetos," oh, yeah. and like I just thought that's yeah. He said we can even stop for a Big Mac. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I that could, was yeah, for me, like that that goes beyond anything in Back to the Future too, or like, yeah, like I could, I was kind of disgusted with that. But um, and then, uh, do we want to bring up the, uh, the the steroid use? Steroid use? What I miss? What do you mean the steroid use? What I miss? Do you know what I'm talking about, Ethan? Do you mean the magical confidence juice? Yes, the, the, my, Michael's secret stuff. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. It's not the fact that it was secret stuff. It was the fact that, that Daffy makes the joke, you know, this goes against everything I learned about in health class. And then Jordan says, look, do you want to win or not? <laughs> like, whoa, there's no way that would fly in a movie today. There's just no way. I, I found the movie to be a real 90s movie the way Masters of the Universe, the most in picture, is a real 80s movie. It just, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a pop culture blend of all that's tacky about that decade. I mean, there's a Pulp Fiction gag in this movie. I thought it was very funny, but yeah. it's completely out of place in a movie. In a kid's movie? Yeah, that's exactly. And, you know, and I know this movie's trying to be all things to all people, you know, like all bad movies. It's trying to be like, you know, a little of everything for everyone, but... Uh, I, th- I thought this film was pretty obnoxious and in your face in a way that was really there's so many close-ups in the film and the film just felt like it's in your face in a way that's like uh really in your face and annoying as opposed to being in your face cool as opposed to, like, I like uh, Lola Bunny she's 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 attractive she wore short shorts uh for the duration of the film yeah very very attractive no Jessica Rabbit but no question very cute <laughs> Um, Teresa Randall's in this film. Teresa Randall plays uh, Michael Jordan's wife. Teresa Randall, of course, the star of, of Spike Lee's Girl 6. She was also, I believe she was in uh, Spawn and a couple of other films. Great actress, gorgeous woman. Uh, Barely in it. Not used very well in this film, <laughs> no. no. This movie isn't about Michael's family. We'll just put it that way. Well, his dad's at the beginning. That's right. That's right. His father isn't. Yeah, that's true. And I actually like that. <laughs> there, there are moments about this movie that I, I really liked, um, and no question, it's not an ordeal to sit through. It's a very colorful and you know, kind of empty but fun movie. But somehow, I remember it being a lot better fifteen years ago, and it, it just this was it was very disheartening to watch this film and to realize just how uh, 
mediocre it is. What a product it is. Yes. Rather, what yes. a you know, and not just a product. Like it's a Slurpee. It's not even like a great you know latte or anything. It's a Slurpee. It's, well, it's a Seven Eleven. The fact that Bill Murray's in it is, I mean, that's as equally a a picture of that time frame as anything else because that's the time when he was really involved in the marketing campaign for the NBA too. So exactly, and this was a time where he really needed a hit too because he had done two uh, two like, family friendly movies. He did The Man Who Knew Too Little and the Elephant movie, Larger Than Life, back to back, and they were both flops. So Space Jam was like the next stop on the Bill Murray tour. But of course, it wouldn't be till three years later that he did Rushmore and, and completely changed yeah. his entire career. So yeah, it's it's I don't know. I, I, don't I like, like the stuff. scene where they uh, turn him into a basketball, and <laughs> it's a pretty abstract image. It really is. I don't like the ending where all the the basketball players have to touch the basketball together to get their powers back. I think the scene it's very nineties. It's as awkward as it sounds. It's, it's just yeah. Like you wonder how much of that's them actually acting, and then how much of that is like. You mean you want me to us all to touch the ball at the same? That's stupid. <laughs> like you can see it on their face. They're like, "What, really?" Ivan Reitman was one of the producers on this film, which is interesting because I think yeah. at one point he was supposed to direct, and now he's one of the producers. This film had a lot of screenwriters, had a lot of producers. It's, it's for me. It reminds me a lot of the Flintstones movie. <laughs> Because on one hand, it's enjoyable to watch in a really empty-headed sort of way. It's it's very lively. It, it doesn't have a moment of boredom in it. You can't possibly be bored watching a movie like this. They're always throwing stuff at you. True, true. But uh, just really uninspired in a way where just moments after you watch it, you can completely forget that you watched it. And yes. I think only Die Hard, like you're saying, no question. It, for nostalgia purposes, it's very strong. For the love of NBA, it's very strong. And you know, and if you love Michael Jordan and find him charming and all that he does, no, I mean, this is him at the height of his career. So yeah, it, it's a fun time capsule. But um, as a as a comedy, as a special effects comedy, even as a live action animation made movie, it's I think it's it's almost passable. Almost, but I, I don't like the film. I, I think, like, if I were to, you know, do a movie critic thing of it, I mean, I would say for me, it was the three star movie in nineteen ninety six. Now for me, it's two. So that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Let's talk about the soundtrack now. <laughs> Which is interesting, and it's it's good to talk about the soundtrack. This is probably the thing about the movie that most people remember the most, and the part and the aspect of this movie that has resonated the most. I mean, I hear these songs from Space Jam on the on the radio all the time. Even the Quad City DJ Space Jam theme song, I hear all the time. Really? That's, Come that on and slam, and welcome to the jam. I hear it. I still hear that on the radio. Yeah, great song. It's great song. Well, I, I remember like the, the soundtrack. There was like a rap song by the Monstars. It like rapped. I don't remember that. Was it was it any good? Do you remember do you remember any of it? Do you, can you do like a you know, just a just a course this of is it? the joys of the internet? I'm gonna pull up Amazon and see if I can bring up that they have the whole like here, listen to these songs. Go was it like the about. giant shuffle, like we are the monsters, we're here to say was it like that? I think kinda like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no question. I mean this um let's see, it was Seal who did his remake of I Could Fly Like an Eagle, right? Mm-hmm. So. And it was good. It was a decent remake. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. Um, and then, of course, I believe I could fly, which is a huge, huge song. I always thought it was funny to watch the music video because it's like R. Kelly, like spreading his you know arms out, Christ-like, in the middle of an open field. And then, then they would cut to scenes from Space Jam. He was like, "What? <laughs> Very strange yeah, juxtaposition." Um, <laughs> but they would always cut to that scene in the movie where Jordan like makes the ultimate dunk. Remember that, where he literally yeah. like runs oh, on top I of the monsters and does the ultimate. Oh, you actually have it. I, I'm 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 bringing up. You got the monsters rap? Oh wait, no, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, this was good. Yeah, that was good. Hang on here. Uh, 
Classic Basketball Jones. Wow. Basketball Jones, I remember that. Yeah, I had this soundtrack. Okay, hit them high, it. the Monstars anthem. I'm guessing that's it. Maybe. Probably that. Okay, let's see. Let's see how this sounds. Let's, let's see how it goes. I love the internet. Supreme competition is about to begin above the rim. Finessing it moves is animated. Is that LL? I can't be deflated. It sounds like LL. Monstars is getting money. We'll clicks get the bugging. I'm snatching up their bunnies. Every step I take shakes the ground. I make you break your ankle, son. Shake you down. This is my planet. I'm about business. It's the best that ever done it. Wow. Okay, I love any rap that has the line, this is my planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like, this sounds like really like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack taken to another level. I don't see the comparison. No? I don't. No, I don't. Because I, I think the like Ninja Turtles movies... better? I like the Ninja Turtles movies better. I do. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. No, but, I mean, the soundtrack. Not, 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 not the movies, but the soundtrack. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is... This is go I mean, Ninja, those... go Ninja, go Ninja, go. Well, that was, we're talking 1990, 1991, when it was like MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice. I mean, this is a true. little more, a little more developed in terms of sound. Yeah, true, true. And I think LL is a lot better than than <laughs> MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice. Yeah, <laughs> if that was LL Cool J, I don't even know. I if think that it was sound. like. It. I but I it's funny. Like I haven't heard. I, I don't even know where my Space Jam soundtrack is, but I know I have it. I, I used to listen to it. Do you have it on vinyl? Not on vinyl, but I do. I'm, I might have it on cassette. You tape. can buy it from from. No, you can't buy it from. From Amazon, they have a listing for it, but they don't have it. Well, what else? What else is on the soundtrack? Since you pulled it up, what else we got? So, you fly like an eagle, the winner, Space Jam. I believe I can fly. Hit him high. I found my smile again. Who sings that? I have no idea. I found my smile again. Is that know. like the love theme from Space Jam? It, it could be. <laughs> One could only. <laughs> but it's only listed as various artists. Well, I like that. You know, it's like, well, who's that about? Is it the love theme? You know, for Michael Jordan and Mrs. Jordan, or is it between the bunnies? This is I found my smile again. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> we like, should do an episode about our favorite soundtracks, man. Uh, this, this is an untapped thing. We gotta, we gotta jump yeah, we on. Probably should. We should, because okay. you know there are like there's the orchestral soundtracks, but then there's like the Space Jam soundtrack, or like the Top Gun soundtrack. You know the stuff we kind of grew up listening to. Yeah. And yeah. the radio keeps these things alive. Yeah. Then you got uh, for you, I will. I have no idea what that is. I remember that for you, I will. Yeah, I remember that okay. song. That song was huge. Was that? Uh, let's see. Is that? Um, it's not Shanice. Say. Is it uh, Brandy? Did she it do could that? Could be. I, I don't know. Yeah, I remember that song. That song was but huge. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting soundtrack for sure. It was a huge soundtrack. I mean, seriously, that soundtrack will f- long outlasted that. Film. <laughs> Rightfully so. Well, it is you know, like so nineties. It, it is. It's very nice. It says nineties is like the Crow soundtrack. <laughs> I love the Crow soundtrack. The Crow soundtrack. Oh, love that oh, so much. Somehow I, I see using the Amazon <laughs> site a heck of a lot more often in the future. Okay, shall we move on to Looney Tunes back in action? Let's move on to Looney Tunes back in action, which came out in 2003, many years later, this time uh, by a real director, no offense to the director of Space Jam, but this is Joe Dante, actually making a Joe Dante film. Yeah. Um, so in addition to the Looney Tunes being in the plot and having, uh, let's face it, also a shameless, but not quite a shameless amount of product placement. Come on, the Walmart plug? Yeah, no question. It, it was it, so nice of Walmart to give us all these Walmart drinks and Walmart bags and Walmart water for saying Walmart so much. Right, but at least they're making fun of that. It's not yeah, like true. it's not like it's Space Jam, but uh, um, very uneven film, but um, I, I think it's a, a better film. Ethan, would you agree with that? I didn't watch it. You didn't? I need less Brendan Fraser in my life. 
Well, I'll share with you guys. I'm not going to read this entire thing because it's a page long. But I actually brought my original review of Looney Tunes back in action with me because, like Ethan, I couldn't get a hand, my hands on a copy of this film in time. The library, apparently, it's uh, backordered. Um, and by backordered, I mean I'm like number six on the list of people who want to watch Looney Tunes back in action. <laughs> who knew? Yeah. Um, but this is I'll, – I'll just – I won't like read the entire thing. But uh, let's see. I'll read my review. Funnier and more classic uh, – more to the classic style of the original cartoons and Space Jam, but so crammed, overproduced, and underplotted that the frenetic mayhem mutes the scenes that work. That's pretty good. I wrote this in 2003. Frazier is reliably da- uh, daft, deft, oh, in self-mockery mode, but Jenna Elfman tries too hard, and Steve Martin, as the dorky villain, Ooh. plays his part like Ruprecht from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels for some reason, and overdoes it so desperately that his scenes are virtually laughless. Movie buff Joe Dante uh, throws in trademarks for his fans, like cameos from Dick Miller, of course, Robert Picardo, Roger Corman, Robbie the Robot, and the Gremlins theme, nice, and stuffs the film with good jokes, but the hilarious sight gags and in-jokes are what score the highest. Yeah. Um, and one sequence set in an art gallery is indisputably brilliant, and the movie gets better as it goes along. I, I think that's a brilliant. <laughs> that scene. Art I, brilliant. That I stand. I stand by that scene. Uh, but it's mostly hit and miss with Le- with Heather Locklear looking embarrassed during one pe- uh, particularly weak musical number, worth it, seeing but completely uneven. Here's the thing: it looks like there, that particular scene is like she's trying to be Britney Spears, mm. but she's too old to play Britney Spears. That, yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, I really, you know, I I did not like this movie when I first saw it. I was I was dreading going back to revisit this. Really, really. Do you remember what you didn't like about it the first time? I just thought it was stupid and boring the whole way through. Okay, and I stand by that when it's centered around the real life characters. Uh, yeah, when when, yeah. when the Looney Tunes take the center stage, this turns into glorious beauty. That art that art gallery scene is spectacular. Yeah, I, I stand it's by my review. the entire movie <laughs> it's just to watch scene. that. Yeah, it's it's a great scene. And but but you know you're so right. The, the Steve Martin stuff, especially Steve when Martin is unwatchable in that movie. Yeah. I'm sorry. And it, well, it's hard cuz I mean, I think I mean, I think he's one of the greatest comic actors alive and I think he's a comic genius in almost everything he does. I love the guy. But no, this was in between his big comeback year and it, and this is probably the oddly enough even though he's not good in this movie, it's the best thing he did in 2003 because this is the year that he had Bringing Down the House, which is unwatchable, but it was a huge hit, and Cheaper by the Dozen, which is mediocre, but it was also a huge hit. Then he does this film where um, Bill Goldberg, professional wrestler, outshines him on a comedic level. Sure, sure. No, and Martin, uh, it's just the character. This is the character is so strange, and you know, you wonder if like maybe Martin Short or somebody who's just a little stranger could have maybe done something with this or made it enjoyable. But Martin is uh, it's, it's hard to watch. He's so bad in this film. I can believe like Pink Panther bad. Uh, worse than the Pink Panther, yeah. I think. Worse than the Pink Panther, because at least, in, at least, especially in the first Pink Panther, he does have moments where his comedic prowess really does come across. I think, even though Pink Panther is also completely uneven. But uh, yeah, in this film, it it could be his worst performance. I completely forgot that Ron Perlman was in this movie. Mm. Was, yeah. What? <laughs> and it, he's completely wasted. I've, yeah, no oof. question. It is it is a movie where the the Looney Tunes really do shine. I thought that you know I thought that Brendan Fraser because he's such a living cartoon himself, he did so, fine in it. I thought. Yeah, I thought he was fine. It, this is not like this is not like Monkey Bone. <laughs> this is not like Monkey Bone. We're just embarrassed for him, and you're embarrassed for everyone around him. I think he's fine in this movie. And for that matter, I feel I like, like every Brendan Fra- Fraser performance is Monkey Bone. Uh, I mean, maybe not Gods and Monsters, but. <laughs> No, he's no, he's, it's true. I mean, when it comes to dramatic performances, I think I think his uh, his batting average is a little stronger. But yeah, when it comes to comedies, you're right. He, he kind of, I mean, he's just kind of like George of the Jungle, no matter what he does. 
But uh, no, I think this is one of the better, like one of the better, if you're going to call it the quintessential stupid Brendan Fraser performances. I think this is like one of the better ones, definitely. This but, is what, Blast from the Past? Better than Blast from the Past. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely up there. Um, I'm trying to think of like the better examples. Uh, I think I think it's because he's playing to his strengths in this film. Sure, honestly. sure. I mean, yeah. It's goofy, it's wacky. He's, well, he's, he's, he's shameless. He's having fun. It, it, well, it's like he did that movie, what was it, uh, Free Vengeance a few years ago? Yeah. And like the movie is dreadful, but no question, he worked his butt off in that film. I mean, like that is a tour de force of, of bad comedy. But like, I mean, there is a he has a line in the movie where he says, like, I have to remove a leech from my no-no zone. And the way he delivers that line, I got to say, you know what? I got to hand it to this guy. He is shameless. Shameless. Yeah, Timothy Dalton I felt kind of bad for. Although sure. he, was, he was hamming it up too. Sure, right, right. But no, no, you're right. I mean, this movie, like, no question. It's like it tries to be a cartoon when it's the live action people. And I think, I think it, it probably should have kind of drew a line in the sand. I think one of the reasons that Roger Rabbit still works is that it's actually this really dark and uh, – kind of sleazy detective story and they let the cartoons get to the dark side of it yeah but like you know it, it just feels like there's a balance there and it's like they're all existing in this real world where things are really complex and murky you know in terms of like you know moral and stuff like that but like in in looney tunes it's like the whole movie is just a cartoon and just some of the characters some of the cartoon characters just happen to be live action and yeah. i think they probably should have drew a line in the sand more but all of the yeah all the stuff i mean there's a there's a star wars joke at the end of back in action that i thought was really funny i mean i think the film just really works on that level but man whenever it's the live action stuff it's like time for the fast forward button yeah yeah i, I whereas you know honestly last week if you'd said hey would you recommend someone watch this movie i'd be like no now I'd say with reservations, know what you're getting into, but I think it's worth watching because the stuff that works, I think, really works. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is the last big budget studio film that that Joe Dante did in America, and it's a shame because it's it's not a bad film. I think it's a better film than Small Soldiers. Oh yeah. Oh easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's not even close. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's definitely the you know it's it, it I, I like that we had this reaction, Dave, because on one hand I was uh, my heart just sunk watching Space Jam again for the first time in years, but I'm glad that this movie brought you back to to a good good, yes. good and I think maybe an underrated uh, Joe Dante film. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think this movie got a lot of hate from a lot of people. I remember yeah. reading the internet critics; everyone hated Back in Action. Yeah, and it's not a great film, but it's decent. Yeah. Yeah, so which I would not say any more about Space Jam. No, no. I, Space Jam I, feels like a trailer for itself. Yeah, I, you almost felt bad for Danny DeVito in that movie. Almost, but you know he's done so many bad films. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I really think we're at the point now where I, I think his bad movies might stack as high as his great films. And he's been in some of my favorite movies. I love DeVito. I seriously think he has like been overlooked for an Oscar at least twice now. Twins, um, dude. Let me tell you. Twins. Sorry. I was thinking more L.A. Confidential. I know, like you, I went, know. you went to <laughs> Twins. I did. Of course I did. All right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess that'll we'll wrap up our little discussion. <laughs> that was kind of fun, actually. In, in that Looney Tooney, nerdy, geeky kind of way. Yeah. I, here, here, here's my real question. Yeah. Um, having seen both films... Do you think the issue might be that it's just difficult to get a feature-length Looney Tunes movie to work? I think this is more, in my opinion, I think this is more of a successful example with Back in Action because it's a real director trying to tell, I don't want to say a story, but like basically trying to be more honest to who these characters are and actually allowing them to kind of shine. I mean, I think the best Looney Tunes movie is still the Looney, 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 Bugs Bunny movie, which was a little bit of new footage, but it was a lot of like old cartoons put in there. And I think that's the way to do it. I think they work as cartoons. I really don't think you need 
these, you know, I don't think you need live action to, to mess with that. And if you're going to do a live action animated movie with the Looney Tunes, I think you need to have a stronger story with a question mark. I, think. I don't think you need, that's the thing, I don't think Looney Tunes have ever thrived on story at all. But I think you can. I think you could use them in some way. Like I, I think the way Justin Siegel wants to use the Muppets and actually mm-hmm. have a story and actually have jokes to tell, but actually have a have a thorough, you know, a, a plot that actually goes somewhere. I think you could do that. And I think back in action is closer to that. And no question. I mean, Space Jam has a story, but I think it's such an idiotic story with with villains who are so ineffectual. The fact that there are these cute little things that actually jump up to these big monsters, it just you can't really take that seriously as a threat. No, no, not at all. So I, I don't know. I, I question whether it can be done. I, if it happens, I'd be thrilled. I, I but think I think, the, I think yeah. there's a reason why, for the most part, with with the feature length Disney movies, they tend to run about seventy seventy five minutes. There's a reason. A, a, a feature. I mean, if it's something with with characters this seminal and this established, you have to stay true to who they are. And a lot of times, I just don't think it lends itself to a full like hour and a half, two hour long movie. I think Daffy Duck's Quackbusters and Daffy Duck's uh, uh, Fantastic Island are good examples of this because, again, it's it's just an animated film with a little bit of new stuff, but a lot of of the stuff that we love put in there. And I think that's I think that's fine for these films. I really do. Oh yeah. Oh, the Duck Dodgers thing with Daffy at the end of Back in Action was hilarious. Yeah. Like yeah, so good. Yeah. No, I think I think Dante showed that it can be done, and I think you need someone like that to do it. Um, But no question. I mean, I think the problem is that this is such a product. Yeah, that uh, you know, I don't think the studio is going to trust someone to really do something really radical and crazy. And you know? I think the problem with Back in Action was the studio said, "Yeah, but we need more story." Yeah, like, if they that, let Dante just make a Looney Tunes movie. Yeah, and hey, Steve what, Martin what is hot there. right now. Let's put Steve Martin in this yeah. role. I mean, yeah, it does feel. I mean, it, it, it's probably as much as a product as Space Jam is, but somehow it feels more like a Joe Dante movie. Maybe it's because Joe Dante gets the Looney Tunes. I think. Well, Joe Dante gets the Looney Tunes. I mean, for Pete's sake, Gremlins Two is a Looney Tune movie. You yeah. know, it's completely a Looney Tune movie. And not only do you have all the Joe Dante regulars in it, but Jerry Goldsmith did the music to it, and I think that really helped as well too. I mean, it really feels more like a Joe Dante movie than it does like a like a Warner Brother like a like a movie that's made to sell stuff at the Warner Brothers store. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well if you want to let us know what you think, by all means do we'll give you contact info at the end of the show. Uh but in the meantime, what's coming out in theaters this coming week? This that coming we can't talk about. We can't talk about. <laughs> uh Sean Levy, the director of the aforementioned remake of Cheaper Brother Dozen, has directed a very different film called Real Steel, starring Hugh Jackman and the wonderful Anthony Mackie. The Ides of March, directed by George Clooney and starring Clooney and Ryan Gosling. It's gotten some mixed but interesting reviews. It sounds like a good adult thriller. In limited release, you've got Black Thorn, uh, starring the always wonderful Sam Shepard. Apparently, this is a real breakout action role for him, so good for Sam Shepard. Dirty Girl, starring uh, Mila Jovovich. Human Centipede Part 2. I'm going to mention it. <laughs> Yippee. And then... Oh, Steph just walked in the room and the look that that got behind me. It's opening. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want it to open. No, either, there's no reason. No to question. See this movie, no reason yeah. to see it. And then also opening limited release, uh, directed by uh, directed and written by Emilio Estevez, The Way, starring Emilio Estevez and his father Martin Sheen. I had a premiere here in Denver. There you go. All right. And then uh, what's coming out on home video next week? A little of everything. It's <laughs> a really interesting week. Let's see. Um, 
I'll start from the bottom up. Terry, critically acclaimed, a little indie comedy starring John C. Riley. Apparently, it's very good. The Trip, Michael Winterbottom's comedy starring Steve Coogan. I've heard it's wonderful. Uh, Ethan liked it. I'm dying to see it. It looks really funny. Four Feathers, available for the first time on Criterion. This is the original Four Feathers, not the remake with Heath Ledger. Chuck, season four. Is that a good season? I, I, you know, I tuned I out for a while. I kind of quit watching it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Me too. I, it was fun for, for, for while we watched it and then just kind of dropped off. And, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. too bad because the first season I thought was very strong. Judy Moody and the Not So Bummer Summer, uh, starring, of all people, Heather Graham. Apparently, it's not very good. It was one of the big big casualties of the summer at the, at the box office. Zookeeper, starring Kevin Woo! James. Zookeeper with uh, every, and every, Nick Nolte. Well, Nick Nolte's in it. Sylvester Stallone does a voice. I mean, there's a lot of celebrity voices. This was a $75 million movie. So even though the movie made a lot of film, uh, made a lot of coin rather, it uh, I don't even know if it broke even because it was such an expensive film for some well, reason. And all the marketing, good lord! The studio threw so much money at this stupid film. I have no idea why. Let's see. We also got horrible bosses, which I did see, and I thought was a real mixed bag. Some some laugh out loud funny moments. There's a there's a joke in it re- revolving around uh, why why Jamie Foxx's character went to jail and what his name is, and I think both of those are very very funny gags itself. But the film itself, I thought, was really hit and miss, mostly miss. Green Lantern, which I didn't like at all. I'll just be upfront about that with uh, with Ryan Reynolds. I don't think it's a good film. Uh, and then Gem. Gem and the Holograms, the complete series, and I could say quite good for 80s kitsch. I enjoy Gem. I watch Gem, and I seriously have the collection because uh, this is something that Julie and I bought years ago. You know, I got Twin Peaks. She's got, she's got Gem. There you, know? you go. It, it, it all works out. But we also have Flight of the Concord, so I don't want people to think that we're completely, completely unsophisticated. And then finally, Terrence Malick's masterpiece, The Tree of Life, available for the first time on DVD and Blu-ray. On one hand, the good news is that there, it, there is report – I'm a six-hour version that is going to be coming out. Now they're actually going to put it out. Apparently, he's working on it and does want to release it. Now the problem, of course, is that on one hand he's 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 going to do that, but he also has this film with Ben Affleck and Rachel McAdams that he has finished, and he has this movie he's currently making right now with Christian Bale. So when he's going to get around to releasing the six-hour version of the Tree of Life, it's going to be like the 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 whole bloody affair. I, yeah, I, I don't know when we're going to see this thing. So, like, I feel like I'm gonna. I need to hold off on buying the Tree of Life. It's still in some theaters. I want to see it in the theater one more time this year. I really do want to see it on the big screen. Um, but you know, unlike the New World, where it was really only a couple of years between the the regular version and the director's cut on DVD, I don't know when we're going to see the Tree of Life, the six hour version on DVD. Well, with so. this many movies being done, has he had this much output at once ever? I don't know. I mean, that's like three movies going at once. Yeah, yeah. He's no, made he, five and twenty years before that. Well, like, years, whatever. well, even in his heyday, he was writing a lot of screenplays. Like, he wrote a uh, a draft of the Dirty Harry screenplay that was not used. He wrote a draft of the Great Balls of Fire screenplay, which was uh, never used. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a he's a really interesting and prolific filmmaker. But he's also a, a philosophy professor over at the University of Austin, Texas. So no question, this this man. Uh, I would kill to take that class. He, yeah. I'm just saying. Well, this guy, I mean, he uses his time very well. He's a brilliant man, and apparently he's completely unpretentious. I've heard he like goes to diners at Austin. They're just like, oh hi Terry, you know. I mean, he's just this really, you know, he's Zoolander's not this, his favorite movie. What's that? Zoolander's his favorite movie. I've heard that too, which I think is again like wonderful. But you know, that's the same could be saying be said of Kubrick. Kubrick's favorite movie was, was The Jerk. He used to quote The Jerk all the time. Kubrick. <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
Terrence Malick, absolute genius. He could do whatever the heck he wants. I love that he's being so prolific, but you know, because he does take his time and stuff. Like even this film with uh, with Ben Affleck and Rachel McAdams, which which according to the producer is better and even bigger in reach than the Tree of Life. I'll see that when I believe it. Yeah. Um, it, it tentatively, tentatively called the Burial. I don't know even when we're going to see this thing. You know, when, when the if if like 2013 is is too soon or too late. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Fair enough. Okay, is that it for the releases? That's it. All right, cool. Well, if you want to shoot us an email, by all means do. You can email us at podcast, Ethan, Barry, or Dave, all at screengeeks.com. You can also give us a call at 719-695-0706 to uh, leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air. We'll talk about it. We'll make fun of you. It'll be outstanding. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know what we're doing next week for, for the episode because Barry and I are going to the Mile High Horror Festival so our time is going to be pretty tight. So I'm, I'm not sure how we're going to work that out, but we'll work something out. Yeah. Um, but until whenever we get another episode out, this is Dave. It's Barry. This is Harold. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>